Today I'll be reading from Matthew 18, verses 21 through 35. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. At this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay you back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, Be patient with me, and I will pay it back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. This is the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. So last week in our series on living right side up, I spoke about forgiveness and suggested that living a life of forgiveness seems like, at times, living wrong side up. Well, I have to tell you I received more comments on that sermon than usual. Questions. One of the questions was, uh, did I choose the topic based on certain contemporary events that are happening around us, especially in politics right now? Um, The answer to that is no. I don't pick sermons based on contemporary events, never have, never will. I can only remember one occasion where I did that. It was following 9-11 with the national trauma that seemed to be our consciousness. I preached a sermon entitled, Where is the Prince of Peace? Otherwise, I plan sermons three, four, sometimes five months in advance, and the dates are chosen. So last week, the date had chosen a long time ago the topic of forgiveness. However, after a flurry of questions this week by email and in person, I did something that I don't usually do. I decided to preach on forgiveness again. So this is part two. And why do I return to the topic. I return to the topic because of you and because of me. Because forgiveness is complex. And it's one thing to say you ought to forgive. It's another thing to ask a lot of tough questions. And I want to ask some of those tough questions with you this morning. One of the tough questions I got was, forgiveness, really, for everything? Am I supposed to forgive 
everything? Tough question, isn't it? Or how about this question? Forgiveness. Yes, but. Then you could fill in the gap. But maybe just a simple one. Forgiveness, but how? I know I should, but how do I do it? That along with the flurry of other questions leads me, questions lead me to this topic again. One of the reasons that forgiveness is, is often difficult is because of the heinousness of the crime that apparently as Christians we're asked to forgive. Or sometimes the difficulty in forgiveness is that we can't possibly forgive all the people. We don't have to go far in our history to understand dramatic episodes of violence, dramatic episodes of violence that have rocked our worlds. For instance, in the late part of the 20th century, in Yugoslavia, the former Yugoslavia, that entire small country was torn asunder by ethnic violence and political violence and religious violence. Estimates are that 200,000 people died in that violence, and three million people were displaced. Three million people either fled the country or ran to other parts of the country and lost their homes, destroyed by fire or taken over by those who were opposed to them. Or how about this one in Rwanda near the end of this 20th century that we all lived through? 800,000 people were hacked to death. Hacked to death by machetes in the space of 100 days. Imagine that atrocity. Suppose you're the only family member still alive. And someone says to you, as a Christian, you must forgive. Why is forgiveness so difficult? Well, sometimes because the offense is so huge. The pain is so deep. The loss is so dramatic. You may have nothing left. Another reason that forgiveness is difficult is because intuitively we want justice. And I'm not suggesting that is wrong. I'm just suggesting that intuitively we want justice. And that makes forgiveness difficult, doesn't it? Another reason that forgiveness is difficult, staying with the justice theme, is because we actually have rights. We have the right to live in peace. We have the right not to be abused. We have the right not to be victims of ridiculous violence. Because we have that right, we also feel that when the right is violated, we have the right to hold a grudge. Why not? That makes forgiveness difficult. There could be a lot of other things that we could describe as the difficulties of forgiveness, but let me just give you one more. It's really pretty simple. The reason forgiveness is difficult is because 
The offense is against you. Because we're all self-centered creatures. We think primarily about ourselves. And when the offense is directed towards us, our self is violated. And being people who are turned inward, it's going to be hard to forgive. So the first question is, why is it so difficult? The second question is, what is it? That's a legitimate question. What is it? I start with two negatives. Things that it is not in order to find the positive definition of what it is. And the first is this. Forgiveness is not inconsistent with justice. If you know anything about the Old and or New Testament, you will realize that justice is upheld. Paul doesn't dismiss justice at the end of the book of Romans. He said it's very important. Follow the law and allow the authorities to implement justice or to punish the crimes. The Old Testament is full of laws concerning justice. As a matter of fact, the law concerning justice that you have heard repeated and said that that law has passed away, which in effect it has, according to Jesus, the law that says the eye for the eye and the tooth for the tooth, right? You know that law in the Old Testament? You know what that law was for? That, was a law, that law was put in place so that justice didn't get overrun by retributive justice. It was placed there so that we didn't go crazy. It was placed there so we didn't make a mess of things. Justice is incredibly important. Law is incredibly important. And it's not inconsistent with forgiveness. Or put it another way, civilized societies need justice. They need impartial courts and they need a system of justice and punishment for crimes. Now, of course, if we wished, we could have the debate concerning what the justice is that matches the crime. But no matter, in a general sense, justice is not a contradiction of forgiveness. What is a contradiction of forgiveness? I've mentioned the word already. Maybe you heard it. Retributive justice. What's retributive justice? It's justice that I take into my own hands in a retaliatory sort of way. That is inconsistent with forgiveness. Let me tell you a personal story with very little detail. There was a time in my life where I suffered and another in my family suffered an incredible injustice. And I have to tell you that I wanted more than regular justice. Yeah, I wanted the courts or whatever to take care of it. But I got to tell you what was running around inside my head was not that kind of justice. 
It was retributive justice. It was me with my own hands punishing the perpetrator of the crime. That's what was in my head and that's what was in my heart. So please tell me for a moment that I'm not the only one in the room who has considered those kind of thoughts. Thank you for that laughter. That is inconsistent with forgiveness. To want the one who has inflicted the harm to be punished over and over again, even to a greater extent than the harm inflicted. That's retributive justice, and it's inconsistent with forgiveness. But justice itself, it's not inconsistent with forgiveness. I read this week a small bit of an autobiography by a man who, as a a very young man, was raised in Cuba and then was on the short end of justice with Fidel Castro. His family suffered great injustice. Not to go into the details, but it was horrific. And now in this country, he writes an autobiography in which he helps us understand what retributive justice looks like. I'm going to clean up his quote a little bit, but it's something like this. He said, I wanted the perpetrators of the crimes against my family in Cuba to lick Satan's razor-studded backside forever with their tongues. Wow. That's retributive justice. I want you to suffer razor-sharp pain to your tongue for eternity. You know, that's not our responsibility. And it's not consistent with forgiveness. On May 13th, 1981, some of you who are as old as me remember that date. (laughs) Pope John Paul was moving across the Vatican Square in an open vehicle and was shot four times by a person who had escaped prison from Turkey and was held in prison for the murder of journalists himself. Amazingly, John Paul survived his injuries. And on December 28, 1983, roughly two years later, the world watched as John Paul entered the prison cell of his would-be assassin and offered him forgiveness. There's epic pictures of the event. It was remarkable. He had to. If he was going to follow Christ, he had to. You know what John Paul did not do? With his act of forgiveness, he did not overturn the scales of justice the punishment that was given to the would-be assassin by the Italian courts. 
No. Justice remained, and he forgave. So justice and forgiveness are compatible with one another. That was a long answer to part of the question. I go back to the question, what is it that is forgiveness? Here's something forgiveness also is not. It's not returning to the abuser. That's not forgiveness. I remind you of an incident in the Old Testament of David and Saul. Saul tried to pin David to the wall with his spear in the palace two different times. David, understanding his imminent fate, decided to flee. And for the rest of Saul's life, he pursued David in the wilderness, doing his best to find him and to kill him. And on two different occasions, David entered a cave and saw his king, Saul, asleep. What did he do? Did he kill him? No. Did he even harm him? No. He took a corner of his cloak, he took his water bottle, he said, look, Saul, from a very safe distance, why are you chasing me? Why are you trying to kill me? It's not necessary. In effect, I forgive you, Saul. And Saul repented, or so it sounds. And he said, my son David, come back to me. Let us be reunited. And David entered the cave and they walked out arm in arm and went to the palace, right? You know the story better than that. No way. David ran again. David knew that forgiveness did not mean returning to the abuser. He was not so foolish to say, I've forgiven him, so I'll go back. No, he knew if he went back, he would be abused or killed again. My friends, I I, I say this because I know so many people's stories, and it may be yours. You can forgive the abuser, but you do not need to return to the abuser. To return to the abuser is to promulgate the sin that was the abuse against you. You don't reinforce sin by going back to the abuser. If it's possible, you leave it. And still, you forgive. What is forgiveness? Here's something that's amazing. Forgiveness is naming the offense and condemning the sin. That just doesn't sound right, does it? Forgiveness is naming the offense and condemning the sin. There's a wonderful theologian named Miroslav Volf who has written extensively on the topic of forgiveness. And he understands it well because he's exercised it in his own life. He was born in the former Yugoslavia and saw the war ravage his country and kill members of his family. And he writes this. He says, in the very act of forgiveness, you've accused the person of a transgression. To forgive is to name and condemn the misdeed. The same is true of God. God doesn't condemn 
and then forgive. God also condemns in the very act of forgiving. You want a picture? There it is. The wrath of God poured out upon sin becomes the forgiveness of God for sin. They're inseparable. That's the opposite of just shrugging it off, isn't it? Shrugging it off and pretending like it doesn't matter. That's not forgiveness. There's two other things forgiveness is, and there's so many more, but one is it's the giving of a gift. July 17, 1977. As a rebellious young man from a Christian family, I encountered, in a dramatic way, the personal gift of grace. Not from an individual, but from God. It became abundantly clear to me on that day that God was offering me a gift. And now I see it as a package, metaphorically. A gift wrapped. But I had to receive that gift of forgiveness. And then, if I understood it, I had to do what the passage that Jesus spoke in today calls me to do. I had to unwrap the package of forgiveness that was for me and give that forgiveness to others. That's what it means to be a Christ follower. You have been given the ultimate gift of forgiveness and now you give the ultimate gift of forgiveness to others because you can't help yourself. Because you know God in Christ has forgiven you. You forgive others. And when you do that, you release them from a debt. Imagine you owed me $100,000 and I walked up to you and said, don't forget, don't worry about it. Let's just call it even. That's forgiveness. You have a debt against me. It needs to be paid. You've offended me. And I say, I understand the offense. I name it and forgive it all in one. So if that's what forgiveness is, and it's only a cursory overview of what forgiveness is, how is forgiveness given? How do we give it? Well, first we want to remember to define it well, right? In other words, we don't want to forgive something that doesn't need to be forgiven. I knew a friend who uh, was a person in the same college that I attended, who years after college had a group of guys come to him and said to him, we really want to apologize for thinking all these years that you were a jerk. We, we never really liked you, and we didn't include you in our group. We just thought you were dumb. The guy told me, I had no idea they thought that of me. 
How helpful is that? You, you think you're doing something for them? Are you kidding? You're doing something for yourself. You're weighed down by guilt concerning what you have thought about that other person, and you want to offload your own guilt by telling them that you never liked them to begin with, and you had no reason to? Come on, let's be sensible, right? Let's not forgive something that doesn't need to be forgiven. And sometimes we want to forgive an offense that's hardly an offense at all. Did somebody spill coffee on the couch? Are you kidding me? It's not an offense, it's an accident. Sometimes we joke in our family that some people, they don't know the difference between three levels, a mistake, a misdemeanor, and a felony. Everything's a felony. So when you approach forgiveness, ask the question, (laughs) is this something to be forgiven? How do you give forgiveness? You make an honest assessment. You're careful about what you ask forgiveness for. You say, am I being childish? But more particularly, forgiveness is a deliberate process. It doesn't just happen. You don't just fall into it. You've got to make a decision. Right, so today for some of you, you need to walk out of here committed to a decision to forgive somebody. And you've got to do something. It doesn't earn you salvation. It's just a demonstration that you understand the salvation you've been given. You have to do something. What are you going to do? That's up to you, but you've got to do something. Maybe if you just feel like you can't get through it, person to person, you write a letter the one who's offended you. Or maybe you take a step back from that and say, I can't even do that yet. Well, then write a letter to God and tell him the problem. Oh, you want another exercise? How about if you write a letter to yourself and describe how you're struggling with it? Eventually, you're going to have to forgive if you're going to continue to follow Christ. And there's multiple steps to it, but it's got to be a deliberate process. So engage it. There's another way that you give forgiveness. This is hard. Over and over and over again. For two reasons. One, because the person may offend again, and you must forgive. Or there's another reason. Because you can say, I forgive, and then realize the words might not have been as true as I thought they were. I'm still holding the grudge. So you got to forgive again, and again, and again. You know, one of the big uh, parts of our tradition is coming to faith in Jesus Christ and making a decision. And I love that a part of our, about our tradition. But sometimes 
With that emphasis, we can neglect something else. We can neglect the fact that we must continue to grow in our faith by doing what we were initially called to do over and over and over again. You can't just forgive once. You've got to continue to forgive. That's called following Jesus. There could be a variety of ways to continue to forgive, but I would suggest when that face comes up that you have forgiven and continue to struggle to forgive, that that face needs to be prayed for every time. Offer that person up to God. How is forgiveness given? Well, really at the base of it all, in terms of a Christian understanding of forgiveness, it's forgiven whenever we truly understand how much we've been forgiven. That's the point of that parable. You can't forgive perfectly. God's not going to cut you off because you can't forgive perfectly. God is saying, you don't understand forgiveness at all from me if you can't forgive your brother. So you know what that means? According to the gospel, especially in the epistles of Paul, when we confess our own sins, and when we receive the forgiveness of Christ, it's as though God's forgiveness, not our forgiveness, my friends, God's forgiveness is flowing through us. I say do it. I say there's methods, but in reality you can't. It's because of the Spirit of God that has forgiven you that you can't help forgiving others. It's God flowing through you. I conclude with just one thought. We're supposed to follow Christ. We're supposed to be imitators of God in Christ. And we are never more like God than when we forgive. You want to be like Jesus? Forgive like Jesus. And that's discipleship. Let's pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for the message of forgiveness, hard as it is. We pray that you will remind us how much we've been forgiven. We pray that you will remind us that actually the condemnation and the forgiveness are one because the forgiveness makes no sense without the condemnation of sin in the person of Jesus Christ. Sin was condemned. The wrath of God was poured out on sin so that it doesn't have to be poured out on us. So we pray, Lord, that that remarkable grace, that ridiculous grace, that counterintuitive grace, that senseless grace, that mysterious grace, will be so part of who we are that we will forgive as you have forgiven us. 
We pray in Christ's name. Amen.